This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, this week we're going to kick writing in the butt one word at a time without using any words for chit-chat, because we think this <laughs> is going to go a little bit longer than usual, so we will be back next week with more maybe heroic stories from the farm. But <laughs> maybe this week we're going to be talking about how to get your characters from here to there. Yes. And honestly, we have no idea how long this is going to go, but we want to leave space in case it runs a little long. So um, one thing that you cannot avoid in storytelling is character movement. I mean, we want character movement, obviously, but unless the scene that now, unless the story takes place entirely in one room, like a play or something, um, there is inevitably going to be a transitional movement, like getting from one house to the next or getting from work to home, or especially if you're writing a story that involves someone who's um, trying to solve a mystery that involves going lots of places and interviewing people, or whatever, there's going to be a lot of getting from here to there. And one of the easy pitfalls to stumble into is wasting words on that character movement. So it's like if you're telling the story linearly, lin I cannot for the life of me pronounce that word linearly, um, you, you're obviously going to have your characters parking and walking and getting upstairs and down again, opening doors, pushing doors, stepping through doors, closing doors, standing in doorways, and you name it, right? So, um, and, and we, we kind of need that. It's necessary because if you don't, unlike movies where you can just cut scene and choke your character one place and have him say 10 words and cut scene and the other somewhere else, or you can show a mon montage of different things. You can't do that in writing fiction. You actually have to lay out how that body gets from place to place, because that is one of the big issues that we foc on is, focus on is avoiding teleportation, right? We don't want disembodied bodies. We want to always know where our characters' bodies are in time, space, and place. So an example of this type of movement might be something like I hopped out of the car and walked into the building, took the elevator up to the third floor, found the floor with found the door with Bob's name on it, opened the door, stepped through it to find a mess of file boxes and papers scattered across the floor. Now, that's something that I will see a lot in not those exact words, but in stuff that I'm working through when I when I look at other uh, authors' writings, especially manuscripts that are still in the early drafting stages. So in this example that I just read to you, and I did read it, um, I hopped out of the car, walked into the building, took the elevator up to the third floor and found the door with Bob's name on it. I opened the door, stepped through to find a mess of file boxes and paper scattered across the floor. We've got hopped out, walking into, taking the elevator, finding the door, opening the door and stepping through before we get to the mess on the floor. So 
in an instance like that, the reading brain has to move past six actions. That was six before it's allowed to have any story related visuals. And this creates a conflict because all of those verbs, those are really good sign. Like that's all movement. And we want to keep our characters moving. So that's awesome. It's just that we want to keep our characters moving in a way that feels engaging and interesting. And characters walking are not generally interesting and characters opening doors are not generally interesting. So you would be thinking, well, you know, oh, the solution is to have the character thinking of something while they're hopping out, walking into, taking the elevator. And that may sometimes be the case, but not necessarily, because really when you're in that movement stage, you're really just trying to get from here to there. You're not trying to make a big deal about it. And if you've got to include a lot of extra words and whatever, it's no longer a transition, right? We're just trying to get from here to there, but you don't want to teleport. And it doesn't make any sense to say, I hopped out of the car and then you skip all the others and say, now I was in the building and I opened the door. It just, you need the detail, but the detail is boring, right? So what do you do? And this, okay. The underlying issue here isn't the movement itself, right? It's, it's the boring. It's not moving, it's boring. We know we need movement, right? The verbs are good, it's the boring that's bad. So when these types of boring sort of from here to there movements show up frequently or follow the same patterns, that's when they start to take on this sort of monotonous, repetitive feel. And on the extreme end, when you have too much of that, this the same thing over and over again, it, it's going to bloat the narrative and it's going to slow down your pacing in the same way that filler or unnecessary words will do. So again, what do you do? The goal is to limit the number of those boring movements and to try to avoid following the same patterns. But this creates like a particular challenge. And especially so in stories when you have the character going to lots of places. So it's not going to be the same challenge if you're writing a story in which there's a lot of sitting around and discussing things like, or maybe um, a story in which the person who is trying to solve a mystery is trying to solve that mystery by watching what's going on through their window and what's happening in the house across the street. There's, there's just, there's, there's a lot of instances where you're not going to have it to this extreme end, but when you have a character who's like an on-the-go type person going to the gym, going here, going there, or is, is you know, out all day and has to make six different spots to talk to six different people to interview them about some specific subject, then you, you, you can't, like, have them not get out of the car, right? Like, Let's say that the, your characters are driving, right? No matter where that character goes, he's still going to have to get out of the car. He's still going to have to walk to the building. He's still going to have to go in the building. And he's still going to have to find what he's looking for, right? It's a series of steps that is a natural course of 
of body movement to get from here to there. So just you can't just switch it up by having him park down the street or having him catch an Uber. Like that's not really switching it up because it's still the same thing, just using different words. So if you need the movements and you're trying to eliminate the movements, how exactly does that work, right? So there's a couple of options. The first is to try to rewrite the sequence to bypass the boring stuff. And that's where creativity and wordcraft kind of come into play. Because in order to avoid teleportation issues or disembodied bodies issues, you're still gonna need to show how the character gets from place to place. But your goal is to do it in a way that avoids repeating the same thing over and over. Like if you have six different instances of I got out of the car, I walked to the building, I walked inside, I walked to the door, not necessarily exactly in that order, but you, you get my point. You're using the same words in the same patterns with slight variations. It starts to feel repetitive. So you're looking for creative ways to sort of eliminate some of it and switch it up. And like, if we use the earlier example of, you know, I hopped out of the car, whatever, that might look something like this. I hopped out of the car and walked into the building, took the, oh, no, sorry, I'm reading the original again for you so that you hear what it was like before I give you a possible switch up. I hopped out of the car and walked into the building, took the elevator up to the third floor and found the door with Bob's name on it. I opened the door and stepped through to find a mess of file boxes and paper scattered across the floor. So we're trying to eliminate those, like cut down on some of those, I hopped out, I walked, I did this, I did that, right? So one way that you might be able to switch something like that up a little bit is to say, and this is just riffing here, I hopped out of the car, headed in and up to the third floor. I knocked on Bob's door and let myself in. It wasn't the first time I'd been to his office, but it was definitely the first that I'd had to thread between file boxes and play hopscotch to avoid stepping on paper scattered across the floor. So in this version, we get hopped out, headed in, knocked on, and maybe let myself in, which, I mean, technically it is a verb verbiage. Um, it's movement, it's action, just as much as the others, but it doesn't quite feel the same. But we've got three or four before we're back into the story. The character's body is still going through all the same motions, but we've cut off two of those boring actions. And of what's left, the information is strung together in a way that we're immediately inside the character's head and it's unique to this particular getting there portion, right? So let's go back and look at the original, right? I hopped out of the car and walked into the building, took the elevator up to the third floor and found the door with Bob's name on it. I opened the door and stepped through to find a mess of file boxes and paper scattered across the floor. So in that version, when you really think about it, the all the movements to get to the essence of this of that paragraph are are almost like yeah 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 okay get past them and then we finally are given this mess this image of a mess right but that mess isn't really connected to the character as the character is making all those movements it's just I did this I did this I did this and here's what I saw right but when you 
make those movements, you rewrite those movements in a way that they are unique to what's happening in that moment, you're sort of integrating them into the movement where you, I hopped out of the car, headed in and up to the third floor. I knocked on Bob's door and let myself in. It wasn't the first time I'd been to his office, but it was definitely the first I'd had to thread between file boxes and play hopscotch to avoid stepping on paper scattered across the floor. So we we get to the interesting part a little bit faster, but the interesting part is also a little bit bigger because there is movement involved in it and we're not just being shown what the character is seeing, we're actually physically involved in what the character is seeing. And that takes what are these very um, specific step-by-steps and makes them unique to this particular uh, segment. So when when you have a lot of these I walked, I did, da, 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 da type things, you can avoid the sense of feeling like there's a lot of that by creating this engagement with what's happening beyond just observation. It's like the, the whole body is involved in what's happening. It's body, thought, everything. And it lets the, the boring stuff feel very small in comparison. It's like on the ratio of how much boring versus how much interactive is going on, it's completely different, different even though the number of words is almost the same and the ideas are nearly the same. And the motion the character's going through is more vibrant. Well, it's directly related to his environment, right? Mm -hmm. So if we were to continue the first example where I opened the door, stepped through to find a mess of file boxes and papers scattered across the floor, what happens next in that sequence? The character has to do another, I walked across the floor or I... Um, didn't see anybody, so I walked towards Bob's, you know, the door at the far end or whatever. So if you were to continue in the existing vein, it requires more of this I, I, I type stuff, right? I this, I did this, and it keeps it following that linear, um, just step-by-step beat. But by, by getting the whole body engaged, like where, you know, his thoughts, his his body, everything are engaged in the environment, then um, it, it, it completely changes the intensity. And by the time we get to the end of this particular segment, we're already across the floor. So we get to move on to whatever else is next, right? So it's a, it's a different sort of, um, it's, it's eliminating the step-by-step and sort of in wrapping it in, uh, I want to say it's like an infinity symbol where it, it, it like wraps in on itself and it, it then launches you out and lets you keep moving. And it's really hard for me to explain this um, because it's something I understand in my head and and I, I, I know what it's supposed to look like, but I'm not sure that I'm necessarily explaining it right. It's like the character's body is going through all these motions but we're we're cutting off some of the boring spot, and we're we're giving we're bulking up the the interesting, and it's, it's this ratio that exists between engaging and just the getting here to there type thing, and it, it's really hard to see how how much that makes a difference in just this one like paragraph example because you know it's just a paragraph, but. 
if you can imagine like a 300 page story in which there are 150 iterations of I walked here, I opened the door and, and you look at those specific phrase, that specific phrasings of I walked or I opened the door or I, I leaned in or whatever. And you, you look at them in isolation in, in sort of this content ratio way. How many other specific phrases are you going to see in the story on a whole? Like you don't, right? They, anytime you start to use the same types of words too often, it's, it jumps out. It starts to feel repetitive. That's why you go through and you start looking for overuses of words and, and what have you. But those are just words. They are not phrases. You, you almost never see the same phrases used over and over and over and over in the same way that you do with I walked, I saw, I walk, you know, opened the door, I leaned or he, she, whatever. You can replace the pronouns however you like. And, and it's that particular phrasing that it's the same phrasing over and over and over again that starts to, and the and the patterns in which those those phrases are used very this then that then that that starts to create this almost sense of filler or um, this this lack of depth only because the the density of story starts to thin out because there's nothing happening in those particular moments where we're just getting from here to there. So that that's one of our options is to rewrite, right? But the, we, we do have another option and that's to bypass it altogether. And that's by you as an author, you have a choice where to start your chapters or scenes. And, um, you know, there's nothing that says you can't start the scene after, after your character's already at the place he's going. And I mean, obviously, that's not always doable, and especially in a situation where you've got the character going to six different places in, you know, the space of two chapters. Obviously, you can't just cut scenes every single time and start him somewhere new. You're going to start to feel like you're just hopscotching all over the place, and it's not going to have the, the, the coherency you're looking for, but it's a tool, right? It's not like everything has to be rewritten. It's not like everything has to be moved to a different scene. Your, your goal is to, you're going for variety, right? To switch it up so that nothing is just following the same pattern over and over. And so if we, if we take this, this example and we just say, okay, we know that not every time this comes up, you can just cut scene, but let's just say in this particular instance that you can, um, then you you can just skip it. There's nothing that says you can't start the scene with Bob's office was a mess of upturned boxes and paper scattered across the floor. I plotted path forward and played hopscotch to get to the back. It's like you skipped all the boring stuff and you're just on it and away you go. Now, the downside for both of these options is that they take time. It takes a whole lot more time and a whole lot more mental energy to find creative ways to say or avoid saying the same thing over and over again um, without it feeling repetitive. And that's craft. And craft requires thinking and it requires wordplay and it's going to slow you down and it's going to increase the length of time that it takes to finish a book because it is so much faster and easier to write. I hopped out, I walked, I opened and there I was, right? It just, it's just easier than having to play with the words and move them around. And it's like, 
marbles in your mouth, right? When you are trying to find ways to roll these different ideas and concepts in a way that feels fluid, that's like having five or six marbles in your mouth. And it, it, it takes effort to move them around, especially if the marbles have different texture to them and you can tell which one is which and you're trying to get them in a specific order. And saying, I did this, I did this, it's like having one marble in your mouth, right? And if you wanted to spit that marble out of your mouth, it's a lot easier to spit one out than it is to spit six out. So it just, it's it's more effort. It's more more everything to try and work with this in a way that keeps these necessary but boring transitional motions from turning into patterns and, and repetitions. And so if writing three books a year or a book a month or whatever, if that's your thing, you're not going to have time to do this type of cleanup. And you're just going to have to let it go because writing is full of those types of trade-offs. And there's no shame in that. You can't, you're not going to be able to go, oh, I want to be able to do this and still write at the speed that you're writing. It's just, it's not how it works unless your brain just automatically knows how to do this and it clicks and you're like, okay, yeah. And then you never make that mistake again. But that's not how most of us operate. So when I'm thinking about this subject, I'm trying to analyze the difference, right? Um, I am struggling and I'm like, why is the one, what is it about the one that makes it so different than the other? And I think, I believe, I think what we're looking at is a difference between linear thinking or linear writing and chronological thinking, chronological writing. So in the first, there's simply this list of everything that's happening step by step. And that's linear. There are lin in this linear narrative, we get the movements first, and then we get what happens after the movement. Um, the story, whatever, and it, it happens. And, and then we go back to the movements. In, in the second, we get this initial list of what's happening, but that list is truncated, and then it quickly intertwines with inner dialogue and the narrative and the visuals. And in that sense, the, the list of boring stuff, it isn't presented in isolation. It's presented as part of the whole. So it's chronological, but it's not linear. And, and this chronological linear thing is something that I understand conceptually as a whole, but I have not really fully figured out how to break it apart and explain it in a way that makes it easy or practical to apply. So if you get it, great. And if you don't, I apologize, but that's what I got on it. And if you're a linear thinker and the, the idea that you explain expressed about chronological writing makes no sense to you at all. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I actually have like, a I'm, lot I'm of hearing that, that and I'm like, I don't, I don't get that. I don't get what you're saying. And it's interesting you should say that because I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and I have thoughts on it and I don't know if there are things that we should talk about after recording or whatever because I was specifically thinking about you and, and some of the things that we've talked about before and, and do we have time to go into that here? Like I don't know how we're running or we need to like. We're at twenty three minutes right now. Okay, um, we'll, we'll we'll give this a try. Yeah, let's but, just keep going. So this is what I was 
actually thinking about this directly as it related to Steve. And so I'm going to pretend you guys are not. I'm going to just pretend we're not like we're not recording right now. This is something that I would have talked to Steve about separately because um, it's just anyway, it, it relates directly to him and me. So we'll just consider this bonus material. And, you know, I'm going to pretend you're not here. So I'm talking directly to Steve. Bye, guys. Don't listen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when, um, so when I was working on this material, there's something you said to me um, that in the past it just kept coming back to me over and over. And it's like I'd be showing you how to fix something and I'd offer you an alternative and alternative way of wording it or whatever. And you'd be like, that just rolled right out. Like, it's so easy for you, right? I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And and so I got to thinking about that. And then I was also thinking about what you told me about the way you think. Like, you think in words, but not just words. You think in full-on grammatical sentences. And if I'm remembering right, what you told me is that sometimes, like, when you're thinking, if the, the grammar and those sentences that are running in your head are isn't actually correct you'll actually pause pause your thinking correct the grammar and then you move on right yeah and that's amazing that you remembered that well i remember it because my mind exploded like i i can't even i i can't even I, i have no concept for even understanding what that's like but the more i think about it and the more I think about issues like this of like, I did this, I did that, like this, this linear type uh, storytelling, the more I'm of the opinion that the way we write, like as individuals, and the, the way we structure our words on the page, it is a byproduct of the way we process information. So like when you and I talked about this before, we talked about how most of my thinking isn't done with words. Like I tend to think in concepts or these just big thought blocks of images and emotions and understanding. And these ideas, they just sort of exist back to front, side to side all at the same time. So my thoughts are not linear, generally speaking. So when I do have words, like, and I've spent so much time thinking about this that I'm like, um, you know how sometimes you're trying to do something, but you can't tickle yourself because you're aware of your own body. I can't think because I'm so focused on how am I thinking, like I'm trying to understand mm-hmm. it. But um, I realize that, okay, so when I do have words and I'm trying to, it's when I'm trying to figure out how to explain something. And to do that, I am literally thinking about how to explain it in writing. And even then it's not linear. Like I, I get these, I'm trying to figure out how I would explain it to somebody. And so I'm basically running it in my head through the um, interpretation machine. And so that kind of same process, it lays out when I'm trying to figure out how to plot, how to, you know, incorporate a plot point or or create a scene setting. I I might get the words when I'm trying to figure out how to articulate it, like, you know, trying to explain it in writing. But on the whole, the way everything ties together, it just kind of swells in multiple directions, like this balloon filled with emotion and understanding until I get it or it collapses. <laughs> and I got to start all over again until I understand what, what, what it is I'm, I'm thinking. So it either is or it isn't, right? And I can, if I can feel it but not understand it, then I'll have something to latch on to. I'll hold on to that emotion. I'll try to build the whole idea again from there and eventually it'll come together. And then it is. And it's there as a whole. And then I got to figure out how 
that actually works in any verbal situation chronologically or even linearly, either when trying to explain a thought to somebody or put it down on paper. But because I've already grasped it sort of in this sense of front to back and side to side and all at once, I tend to write that way as well. Like sometimes I will start writing backwards, not literally the words on the page backwards, but I'm coming at the idea backwards. And then I got to restructure my sentences so that they form sort of a coherent progression of this upon that upon that, right? So in scenes where a character is getting from place to place or, you know, all these getting here, getting there things, these mundane steps, to me, they're just an after effect, uh, after the fact thing. Like, I just have to work those into what I've already got, right, as a way to stitch the scenes together. And so what the, I'm trying to explain it in a way that makes sense to somebody who thinks leanery. So I actually sat down and I, and I wrote out what it's like inside my head. <laughs> so bear with me here, right? <laughs> so like, let's say I was trying to, to come up with that scene that we just, we just had, you know, getting out of the car, the mess of the files and everything. Inside my head, what, when I'm sitting at the computer and I'm trying to put all that together, it, like, it starts with the visuals, right? It's the essence, the part of the scene that matters and be like, disaster, file boxes, floor, paper, sliver of carpet, uh, hop over it, don't, don't mess it up. And then my mind's like, hey, 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 screech, you know? And then it's like, outside, car, look up, there's a building. It's bright, it's sunny, my eyes hurt, it's hot. Screech, 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 screech. Oh, third floor, quiet, carpet, dim, cool, it feels nice. Screech, screech, screech. Mess, carpet, papers, windows, daylight, silence, where's Bob? And then... It starts coming together like I hopped out of the car, you know, it's like it's I'm seeing it on this just this rapid, just massive sense of like just blah, all over the place, right? So I'm thinking, and I could be so, so very wrong here. But like I have no framework to understand what it's like to think in sentences in in a progression in order like that. But I'm thinking that for somebody who does think linearly like that that the getting there portions, the getting here from there type things are going to be as much a part of what's happening to the story as everything else in the scene. So because that's the, the literal logical progression of how grammar works on, in, in a linear line, right? So if you're someone who thinks in words, and especially if those words are full of grammatical sentences, then the most natural way to convey what you're thinking and imagining is also going to be step by step by step by step, just like grammar. So if that's what comes naturally, then I can only imagine the just how horrifically challenging it is not just to conceptualize or understand writing things out of sequence, but to literally like erase the line and then figure out how to move that, that part of the line somewhere else where it doesn't naturally belong. Right? That's, that's like asking somebody who doesn't have legs to now go run a race. I mean, it's like you're asking somebody to do something that isn't part of their way of processing information. So I started to think about, okay, how how would you resolve that? Like, I obviously, how I teach writing is going to be affected by how I process information, which is great for anybody who processes information like me and not so great for someone who doesn't because 
they it doesn't work with the patterns inside their brain. So I'm like, okay, how would you take these same concepts and break them down in a way that somebody who doesn't think like me would be able to to work with them, right? So I got to thinking, all right, my issue when I'm writing is that I have to pare down this hole, like the whole balloon, whatever. I have to pare it down into a small enough bite that it only includes what matters to the scene. So sometimes I have to do, I have to write 10,000 words just to figure out what it is I'm trying to say. And then I got to delete 9,000 of them. So I'm like, all right, if you think opposite, if your way of thinking is opposite of me, maybe the solution for you or for anybody else who thinks like you, anybody who has this like linear type, you know, grammatical sentence thing is to go the exact opposite direction. You write down everything linearly, knowing that that's just the first step. And you write it as it comes, and then you go back and you cut out as much of the mundane or the repetitive stuff as possible, and you switch it around, you stitch it together to make it grammatical, and then you use that as your starting place. That's your foundation. And from there, you have to build out. You have to build the texture, you have to build the depth, and you have to build the meaning. And it's like, it, it, is, it is in my nature, my way of thinking, to go big and whittle down to its core. But when you're thinking linearly, you're thinking in a series of steps. It is going to automatically be missing a lot of context, a lot of visuals, a lot of emotional depth and breadth, simply because that's not how we think, right? It's how I think, because I think in feelings and images, but it's not, that's not words. Words don't convey that in the same way that images do. So you write it, how you hear it in your head, and that's your foundation. And then you start looking at it instead of looking at your drafts as layers of, okay, here's draft one. Now I'm going to clean up this. Now I'm going to clean up that. You're going, all right, I've already got the words. My words are decently clean. Now my next draft is going to be emotion. And now my next draft after that is going to be color and texture and, and details that don't just show up in words because they're not part of the linear progression of getting from here to there. Now, I could be so wrong. I really, I don't, I'm just like, this is just, I'm thinking about it. And these are the thoughts that are coming to me. And I could be so, so off. I, everything I just said could be absolutely bullcrap. Like, I don't know. But I, I'm starting to believe that so much of what we call learning the craft is really learning to bend the way we process information to match a universal concept of what it means to make story work. And the reason some people struggle so much with even being able to see certain issues on the page or in their own writing, even if they've been working at it for years, it's not because they don't get it. Like you can explain it and they get it. it and it's not because they don't have a sense of story but because it's the way their brains process information runs completely counter to what the requirements of story demand of them. And so it doesn't, it doesn't come naturally. So it's not that some people are just more natural storytellers, although, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm sure that plays into it. It's got to in some part. But it's that storytelling is the art of conjuring emotion. And in the same way that everyone experiences world, it's, it's our senses. We experience the world through our senses. 
the easiest way to conjure emotion is through the senses. So if you're already used to thinking in images and emotions and you intuitively understand the connection between your senses and this kaleidoscope in your brain, it's a whole lot easier to put that kaleidoscope into words, trigger the same kaleidoscope in somebody else than it is to turn words into a kaleidoscope that doesn't exist at all. So that's my take on it anyway. And, and I think that if instead of like, I, I think that just simply being aware of it, simply being aware that how I process information is going to affect my storytelling and the words that I put on the page and my way of processing information and interfacing with details is not naturally conducive to the demands of storytelling. Therefore, an extra step is required. And here's what I will do in taking that extra step to bridge the gap. Then all of a sudden, it's not you anymore. It's not like, oh, I'm no good at this. It's not like, you know, why am I just not getting this? It's like, oh, yeah, I have the skills to get it. It's just my interface is broken. So I'm going to work on dealing with this faulty, not faulty, because that implies that one is better than the other, but this, this less than ideal for the situation interface. Because I guarantee you, there are some things that being a linear thinker uh, is going to give people an edge. Like if you, if you think very logically in, in a series of progressions, you probably have a, a massive edge in, say, mathematics. I can't do math to save my life. Like, if I get past multiplication, all of, and even multiplication, I have to add, if there's a series of more than three numbers, I have to add them three times just to make sure I get the same answer twice. And that's using a calculator. So it's just different types of processing information are going to be more adaptable to some forms of stuff than the other. And if you are naturally someone who thinks uh, in multi-directions at the same time, storytelling uh, as a whole, as a craft, is probably going to come a lot easier to you. And if it doesn't, well, okay, whoop, but you're probably really good at other stuff, right? So don't take it like you're just bad at this. It's just an interface thing. You know, when you were describing your thought process, I was, you talked about how your brain kind of exploded when I explained explained my thought process uh, several months ago. My brain yeah. was exploding when you were going that toot, 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 ee, ee, thing. And it's like, oh my gosh, she actually thinks this way? That is crazy. And uh, you, were, you were talking about the way you might jump forward or jump backwards and go at an idea from forward to back. And I, I've thought of the number of times I've spoken to people who will say, if you're having trouble with a scene, just go to the next scene. It's like, I can't do that. I've tried it. I can't go to the next scene. I just can't do it. Yeah, because you're not there yet. And yeah. you're, you have to, you have, so yeah, that, that makes, now that, as this concept is starting to like develop inside my head, makes perfect sense. And so you're hearing from somebody who's capable of jumping from uh, idea to idea. Mm -hmm. And I, I imagine that there's something of a spectrum in terms of how, where people fall on this line between, you know, strict linear words versus so 
forward, backwards, and all over the place that it's almost hard to get anything in any sort of coherent order. And I think we call those people geniuses. I don't know. <laughs> they're, way, they're way beyond. They're the people who understand like just these just these massively complex concepts and stuff, right? So uh, I, I'm imagining that there's some sort of spectrum on this. And just figuring out where you are on that spectrum, knowledge is power. You, you're like, okay, you got to work for, you have to do this process in a way that works for you. And once you begin to understand how you process information, how you, you deal with this, then we, we can focus in on that and find uh, unique solutions for that specific way of processing information. I think, again, I'm, I'm just like totally just, just, I have not given this as much depth of thought as I should, but this is how I'm beginning to uh, internalize the concept. Yeah, this is fascinating. I have to think about this a little bit. I, I read a book um, uh, several years ago called Write Your Novel from the Middle by James Scott Bell. And I read it and I thought, this makes perfect sense. I'm going to try it. And I couldn't even start. It was, <laughs> it was like, it was... I completely understood it. I understood the value of trying these steps, and I couldn't do it. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't put a sentence down. And I just like, okay, I guess this is not for me, but it was an interesting book. Yeah, no, because it didn't work for the way you, your brain, you know, it didn't work for your interface, your, your thought-to-world interface. So, um, All right. we well, got to find we got to find the right we got to find the right process for you. Fascinating, fascinating. Um and it's not just me. There are other people who think this way because I've read I read books like this where it's just like this after this after this after this after this. And I I I don't like them as well as I like other books, but I I can see that I'm not the only one who thinks this no. way. No, of course not, but you know, I started thinking about this specifically if like as a way to you know, like, how do I, how do I help Steve? <laughs> this doesn't seem fair. <laughs> so yeah, I was thinking of you when this stuff started coming, you know, coming to me. Well, thank you. I appreciate the thought. And I, yeah, I was talking to someone today, speaking of thinking about uh, one another, and I was talking about you. And oh, dear. Y- you had, you had mentioned, and I wrote this down, um, that you th- you process information in thought blocks. And I know I've, I've mentioned this to you before, but the first time we spoke, the first podcast interview we did, I came away from that thinking, she speaks in complete paragraphs. It's like you don't build one. And when you're talking, you don't, you don't talk one sentence after another. It's, it's as though the entire paragraph or series of paragraphs comes to your mind at once and then you speak it except that's from the perspective of somebody who thinks in words so everything you just said except without words and i'm racing to keep my mouth to have my the vocalizer the verbalization of it keep up with these concepts in my brain before they vanish and flash to something else Interesting, and the only um, oddly enough, because I, I would I would not th- in the concepts, but I don't have the words for it. I, I would not think of this in particular about this group of people, but other than you, the only people I know who do this are attorneys, and they think in hmm. these large blocks of. Well, they don't. I don't know how they think, but they express themselves in 
blocks of words in, instead of one sentence building on another. It's this complete idea that it's just there, and then they state it. Interesting. And maybe it's because they're so well-versed in the subject matter that they understand the subject matter from front to back, side to forward, and they have a full picture of how that particular subject matter applies as it pertains to the law. What would be really, really fascinating is to find out if they're capable of doing the same thing in something unrelated to law. Yeah, and um, yeah, who knows? Uh, The next time I talk to someone who's an attorney who does this, I'm going to quiz them about it because it's... I'm becoming more and more curious about this. It's, it's very interesting. It's an interesting topic. So that is it for this week's combo show, <laughs> kicking writing in the butt for one half and, uh, and exploring different ways of thinking and how it applies to writing in the second half. So thank you guys very much for listening, and we will be back in your ear next Tuesday. See you guys next week. <laughs>